and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki, and you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So two weeks ago, we spoke about the recent decision by YCT, the Progressive Modern Orthodox Rabbinical School, to not give smicha, rabbinic ordination, to Daniel Atwood, an out gay student, a few weeks before getting his smicha. If you haven't yet gotten the chance to listen, don't worry, this episode will stand alone. But when you finish this episode, definitely go back and check it out. That story has not only affected many of us personally, it's also made many of us stop and force ourselves to think about the hard questions, about the intersection of modern Orthodox Judaism and LGBTQ, in a way that many of us hadn't thought about before. Today, we have a guest here in the studio who we want to talk to about some of these questions. Welcome to Rachel Freed. Rachel is the Deputy Executive Director for JQY, Jewish Queer Youth, which is a nonprofit organization supporting and empowering LGBTQ youth in the Jewish community, with a specific focus on teens and young adults from the Orthodox, Hasidic, and Sephardi Mizrahi communities. So, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. And for the record, Uri and I both know Rachel personally, and Rachel and I have played a great many board games together on Shabbat afternoons. Please be in touch if you would like to join our fiercely competitive Splendor League. I'm just kidding. No one's allowed to come. Uh, so, Rach, to start off, welcome. Thank you so much for, for coming and, and talking with us today. Thank you for having me. It's an <laughs> honor to be here. Um, I know it's hard to sum up. It's been a lot, obviously, in the past few weeks, the past month. Um, but I, we kind of want to just start off by hearing from you, sort of how you feel about what happened. Um, were you surprised by what happened? Were you surprised by the reactions to it? You know, kind of take us through, through your process here. Yeah, so I think that for me and for a lot of LGBTQ people, this is actually not about Daniel. Uh, this is about the, the fear of being kicked out of any Jewish institution that an Orthodox kid or young adult goes through when they're part of an Orthodox institution and they're closeted. So this idea of if I come out, if I let people know who I am, if I'm too loud about it, I'll be kicked out of my school, I'll be kicked out of my house, or my my friends won't be my friends anymore. That idea is something that I think is is almost a communal kind of feeling that LGBTQ people from religious Jewish homes can relate to. And this is this uh, story with Daniel is something that almost feels expected. This is something that I think I and other LGBTQ people sort of always expected. And like you never fully expect to be in. So when someone is formally kicked out, you're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like we were never fully accepted. Is that what you're, what you're saying? It's like uh, when I was closeted and I wasn't out, I was afraid of coming out because I was afraid of being kicked out of institutions or Mm -hmm. afraid that people would not allow me in their spaces. And so what I'm saying is that this is the the reason why this doesn't feel surprising on on one hand is because this is something that is expected and it doesn't matter that this is rejection and and being kicked out of a school or being told that you can't graduate because you are too queer you're too outspoken about LGBTQ things or you're too anything that has to do with being LGBTQ and so it doesn't feel surprising it's unfortunately it feels familiar and I mm-hmm. think that this story with Daniel is sort of it's reaffirming a narrative that we always thought was going to happen and the fact that it's the ordination that he was going to get uh, doesn't necessarily make it a bigger deal in the context of expecting to be rejected mm-hmm. I think that this story feels like an example of many stories that are reaffirming the fears that people grew up with right um, and I think that it's it's also it's more disappointing than surprising. Um, I think that Daniel throughout his time at YCT 
was there was a perpetual state of like mixed messages. And on the one hand, he was being told, like, it's so great that you're going to be the first out student here. And on the other hand, being told that he that, you know, you're you're too gay or too like too quote unquote, too vocal about LGBTQ issues um, and that that wasn't allowed. Right. And that JQI We've had different JQI panels at YCT with Daniel in the room, and it wasn't really clear which world, which side of the panel Daniel was on. And um, Well, so could I ask you, um, the specifics of the case aside, because we don't know what their agreement actually was, um, but do you think that if you, you know, if it was up to you and YCT agreed to, to ordain the first openly gay student, do you think, meaning would you be willing to do any kind of compromise on like, yes, we'll ordain him as long as X, Y, Z? Like, is there anything that could be in that X, Y, Z that would be acceptable to you? You're saying before, yeah, right pretend, now? Or pretend or it's three years ago. And they're saying, listen, he's the first one. We don't want to rock the boat too much. We know that this is going to upset a lot of people. And therefore, we were just thinking we might have to compromise a little bit. And hopefully down the line, this won't be an impediment. But because he's the first one, like I'm just this, hypothetically speaking. You-, I, you know, I don't want to speak for Rachel. I, and Rachel, this is this is it's a very like personal thing. I think like everyone would have different standards here. But I think. For me, I would imagine the standard should be exactly the same as any other student, which would be you have to fully keep halacha. Okay, but that's obviously complicated in this case. Well, no? I'm saying I, you're I asking think... sort of like what what would be the no, X, Y, Z? The compromise is you have to, I think it has to be publicly more and privately that. keep halacha. You are a rabbinical student. You're about to be the rabbi and a leader in our denomination. This is important to our denomination that's that our rabbis a, fully keep I, halacha. But I think that was the whole problem here. That I'm saying we're, we're not going into specifics about the Daniel case, right. right? But we're talking about big picture, what's important, how can we create an agreement in which LGBTQ individuals feel like they're fully a part of the community, but also LGBTQ people are in a sort of unique case. And the way we do it is by embracing fully a universal standard for our rabbinical school students. But I don't the, know. the question is, what is the standard and how does being gay Halacha fit in? publicly and privately. I, I, I isn't. Is that not? I mean, if you were running a rabbinical school, would you do it differently? I'm sorry. I, well, I'm, I feel like I, we're yeah, talking over Rachel. Rachel, what do you <laughs> let's think? Let's to you. No, I definitely agree with Rifki. I think that uh, if you have a standard for your students, then you have a standard for all students. And that standard also means that you're not putting one student under an extra microscope. I think that if you have a standard across the board, the way that you look at your students and the way that you hold them to the standards is the way that you hold them to the standards right. across the board. So what if a different student was living with his fiance before marriage? Well, let's ask a different. What if a different student were living within the bounds of halacha before marriage? Meaning... It's not a yichud, and this is why, like, we don't want to go into the Daniel case because it it is a little bit more I don't, complicated. I'm not asking about the Daniel case. I'm saying, is there anything? If that- a student came to the Rosh Hashiva and said, "I want to live with my fiance before marriage. We want to do it within halacha." Can you help me do that? And Rabbi Linzer said, oh my God, thank you for asking. You should have separate bedrooms. Here's how you should lock the door so there shouldn't be a yichud problem. Like, I have no, I never spoke to Rabbi Linzer about this or really about anything. But I'm saying, like, the standard should be halacha. I think we have to be really careful about separating what halacha from what we consider uh, social and cultural norms uh, within the Orthodox community, because a lot of times things can come across, as, it can feel like they are halacha when really they are more about the the norms of the community. And so I do think that I agree with what Rifki is saying, that 
there are halachot that um, that apply to all kinds of things that might seem taboo in orthodoxy that are perfectly halachically fine, and yet they're not fine from a, like a social or cultural standpoint. Okay, so uh, not to harp on this issue too much, but let me rephrase the question. Okay, the the actual act of gay sex aside, which is pretty seemingly explicit in the Torah, but that aside, you you guys see, are saying let's just define it by halacha, but. Judaism and Orthodox Judaism doesn't work exclusively only with halacha. There are cultural and societal um, factors that are extremely significant um, to the community as well. I don't think those things can be just thrown aside because they're not literal halachic issues. So my question is, should any of those cultural, societal, or can any of those, would any of those issues factor in or be up for debate or conversation in terms of compromises? um, Or do you think that they are not? I think that if we have uh, norms that are really homophobia masked under the guise of halacha, then I think that it's unacceptable for us not to look at those and to challenge those. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that... um, Within the Torah, like the, we don't have, we can't change Pesukim in the Torah, of right. course, but we can change the things that are that are the social norms and the cultural norms. Those are the things that I think institutions that are progressive and open. I think we, that's it's our job to be, it's our job as Orthodox people. I think I was taught in yeshiva that that uh, what we do is we ask questions and we challenge things and. I do think that it's our job to be pushing the boundaries of that and to not be saying, well, it's our cultural, maybe it's not halachic, but it's not our cultural norms. So therefore, we're going to make a decision based on this, especially for institutions that are working on challenging those norms. Okay. I mean, I, I definitely hear that. So one of the things that um, that I think was complicated in the specific case was that there never really was a functional relationship. It was never really clear where uh, where Daniel stood. And it's really difficult to grow and to move forward on a place where there's shaky ground. And so I think that something that, that it was necessary and that we're asking for is to have standards and ideals for a, a vision moving forward. Like what should a gay person do and what do you want from us if you don't want us to live with our fiancés before we're married? For straight people, you can say, we don't want you to live with your fiancé until you're married. And once you're married, then you can live with your fiancé. Right. And for gay people, it's it, or for queer people, it's... We don't want you to live with your fiance before you're married because we want what? Exactly. Right. No, that's exactly what I was trying to yeah. get at. And I, I ask actually, about. yeah, I think that's exactly sort of the the right question that I think we we've all been grappling with a little bit here of sort of what what is the end game, right? And for LGBTQ members of the Orthodox community and for the way that Orthodox community can and should you know quote unquote embrace the LGBTQ members. What what should it look like, right? If it, let's say, Rach, you are in charge of orthodoxy. Congratulations, you did great. Uh, you deserve it. Um, what does it look like for LGBTQ people to be fully accepted in the community? And I think that 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 has several levels. One of them is on the personal level, so it's like you know people having relationships with one another, but also on the communal level, which is you know the things we talked about uh, two weeks ago of Mazel Tovs and shul announcements, and you know kids being accepted to high schools and stuff like that. Like, what does it look like institutionally, and what does it look like personally? And I guess, will it really happen? Like, do you really think that orthodoxy is going or could get to a point that LGBTQ individuals can be fully accepted into the community? 
Yeah, I think that has to be true. Um, I think that because I think this is an issue that impacts not only LGBTQ people, but also the friends and families of LGBTQ people and uh, progressive Jews in general. I think that that we're talking about a huge uh, number of Jews who for whom this issue is a big deal. And I think that this is going to be a bottom up kind of issue. I think that it's going to be something that eventually the institutions will have to uh, catch up with the people. And that that gives me hope. I have um, hope in Jews and in my friends and in my generation um, and in you guys for having these conversations and for all and in all the listeners. And I do think that there is that there will have to be a time where LGBTQ people are fully accepted in in the Orthodox community and celebrated as regular members like everybody else. Um, and I think I think right now at the same time there is there is at JQI we use this metaphor of a house right so there's currently a house that's being built and right now that house is not finished and it's in sort of like a shaky place we maybe have uh, the foundation and not really the the floors are not really um, stable and it's not it's not uh, a safe house to be in right now but it's in the process of being built the thing that's complicated is that it's the LGBTQ people that will fall through the cracks. And it's it's dangerous to say it's safe here right Right. now when it's not actually safe. Um, We had an event last week at JQI where the top, it was a community conversation and the topic was, is there a place for us in orthodoxy? And the, there were people at the event who grew up in Haredi communities. And they said that while they're, communities rejected them, at least that their communities had a position that was clear. And that allowed them to sort of take what was, it allowed them to take that and move forward, as opposed to modern orthodoxy right now, where there really isn't any clarity. It's kind of in like this wishy-washy in in between. And it's not, it's not clear what's expected or what, uh, what the future looks like. And so we need to have clarity on that. If you can't be happy for our simchas and if you can't say where we fit in in the community or if you're uncomfortable celebrating who we are, then you might not be as accepting as you would like to think you are. And I think that's, um, I think that's something that is, it takes courage to be honest about that. Um, but also I think that's something that we should know and we'll, We'll take care of each other, the LGBTQ Jewish community, but it, but we need to know that in order for that to happen. And so I would, I would um, caution institutions and people about picking up the ball if you if you're going to drop it or if you think maybe you can't hold that ball. Well, I think in terms of the future and where things are going, you know, Rifki and I ha- ha- over the last couple of weeks have s- spoken about how much progress has been made. Has there been? in fact, progress, or are we just in the same place where we were in the past? And the answer is a little bit complicated, depends who you ask and what community you're looking at. Um, I think American or like, you know, world society in general has come very, very far in a very short amount of time on this issue. You know, as we said, President President Obama was came out against gay marriage when he was running for president in 2008. And only a few short years later, the Supreme Court um, legalized gay marriage, and obviously Obama and most of the country was on board with that. Um, and as, as with many other things, the Jewish community, the Orthodox Jewish community, lags a few years behind on some of these cultural issues. We talked about <laughs> we talked about Pete Buttigieg last week, and you know, if I think if he becomes president, that's clearly going to do a lot for like normalizing um, gay people, gay marriage, like 
for kids who grow up in that presidency, that's going to be totally normal in the same way that it's now totally normal for there to be a black president. Um, it's obviously very, a very different type of issue and situation. But I guess in terms of Orthodox Judaism in particular, Rachel, why do you think or do you think it's important for the Orthodox community specifically to be fully on board and embracing of LGBTQ people, as opposed to someone who might say, we'll embrace you and accept you as people, but in terms of the religious side, why don't you go to, you know, reform or conservative or another group that's like much more on board with that? Let us Orthodox people keep our way things have been and don't try to change the, you know, those rules. Like what would you respond or like as a gay person who feels and has been rejected from the Orthodox community, what is the motivation to insist on being in that community despite that continued rejection? All right. Well, first I would, uh, I would sort of push back on the question that you said, you know, you, we accept you here and we're not going to hurt you. I think that um, that there is a lot of hurt that is caused by that kind of outlook yeah. where we'll accept you as a person, but in terms of your religion, you, you know, maybe you could go elsewhere. I think that if you can, if you think back to when all, when we were in high school or when we were in camp and you, you know, as in a person who grew up in a bunch of different Orthodox institutions, my whole life was Orthodox, like every place I went and everything I did and all of my, um, all my friends and my family, that was my, it was my life and my home. Mm -hmm. And imagine if someone were to tell you when you're in high school, like, oh, there's something that, you know, we accept you as a person, but like, maybe you could just leave orthodoxy, Mm -hmm. you know, and that it's not, it's, it's, it's not an option for people, especially for kids who are in school. It's their home. It's like saying, well, why don't you just get up and leave your family? There's conflict here. And that's not something that, um, that's not something that is something that is extremely harmful and causes a lot of a lot of pain and a lot of risk in people. I also think that we're not talking about a small percentage of the population. It might be that it's not uh, that the percentage that's visible right now is is obviously smaller than the percentage of people who are LGBTQ, mm-hmm. because right now we only see the people who are out. But the percentage Studies show that between 6 and 10% of the population are LGBTQ, and the Orthodox community is not immune to that statistic. And so we're talking about a large... sizable chunk. Right, a large number of people. And also, like, we're... We, we worry about the future of Judaism. It's really, a, I think, a dangerous move to say, well, there's like 6 to 10% of the population, plus their friends and family who also would likely, I imagine, be questioning orthodoxy if their friends and siblings and family members were... Unwelcome. We're pushed out and we're unwelcome. So we're talking about more. We're talking about a huge percentage of the population, and I think that puts orthodoxy at at serious risk. Besides, for the fact that we can't that we don't kick people out of their homes. Mm-hmm. I also just something about that feels also really like theologically troubling to me because if we believe that the reason we are orthodox is not merely because we grew up orthodox, we happen to go to these schools, we happen to go to these camps, so we like kind of ended up in the same community. But if we truly believe that orthodoxy is the way in which we can become closest to God and we can build a, a good society and a just society and a relationship with, with, with God, and we say, but we can do that, but like these people just don't kind of fit in. When these people, I think we basically universally agree, 
like that God, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, right? Like created people the way they are, created people straight, created people gay, and we're saying that they don't really fit into this system. That feels really troubling, also. Like to say that we can't find a place for six to ten percent of our own community. Or like, you know, I think about people who uh, I've heard stories about people who wanted to convert to Judaism and wanted to convert to Orthodox Judaism and were gay and were told, why don't you convert, you know, conservative or convert reform? But if we theologically believe that those people aren't even really, quote unquote, halakhically Jewish, then that feels really problematic. Like we're just saying that those people can't find a way in the system, which is supposed to be a religious system about creating, I don't know, what, what do you guys... This, this might be just a rant that I feel, but I don't know. What, what do you guys think about that? I agree with that. I mean, I think that we have that there, the LGBTQ community are, is not the only community of people who don't fit in exactly to the Orthodox system that we have now. So uh, there's the system we have now revolves very much around a traditional family model where there is a father and a mother and children and a lot, I think that it's not only LGBTQ people who don't fit into that model, but also people who don't get married and people who don't want children. And I think we need to figure out how to make room for all kinds of people who don't fit into this very specific system. And I think that that is, that's more than just the LGBTQ community. Studies show that the LGBTQ community is more at risk when, they co- when people come from rejecting communities and rejecting households. It's actually not the uh, religious aspect that causes people to be more at risk for suicide or self-harm or different kinds of mental health issues. Studies show that it is because, specifically because of the rejection that causes those issues. So what do you think about, let's say, bending or changing the norms and the social um, traditions in order to be embracing of LGBTQ people as um, how does that connect and relate to bending norms, let's say for women or for, I don't know what other examples would be, but there, we could probably come up with, with some things like how do those all go together in like an intersectional kind of way? Or do you think we have to do this first and then talk about those things? Well, like I said, I think we have to prioritize who I think we have to understand what's at stake here, because with the LGBTQ community, we're talking about at JQI, we call this a a quiet emergency, that these are people who are not out and there are people who are extreme at extremely high risk for for suicide, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, self-harm. And that is I, I think that that is, we need to be taking that really seriously. It's an emergency. It's not the same thing as we will get to it when we, you know, when we're at this place or we're trailing behind the world because that's how we move and we move slowly and we do move slowly. And I can appreciate the process that, uh, that it takes, of course, change within a system, especially within a system that's existed for thousands of years is not, uh, it's not easy and it's not fast and it's not straightforward, but this is an emergency that we're talking about and we're talking about real people. And I think uh, I think it's easy to have this conversation on a sort of on an intellectual level, but when you meet the people we're talking about, you realize that we're talking about real people and that it's not it's not the same thing as you know when Judaism when Orthodox Judaism accepts this and this and this and this and then what does what does it look like? Also, we're talking about people who want to live orthodox lives 
And so I imagine that if we, you know, if if we, the Orthodox community, accept LGBTQ people into the Orthodox community, probably their lives will look a lot like Orthodox lives, mm-hmm. and probably Orthodoxy won't look different. As opposed to, I and dare I say it, it, that it might look drastically different if we were to, uh, if we were to push the boundaries of what what women can and can't do in Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel, on that note, I guess, like, I'm thinking back to the, the, what we were talking about a little bit before of what does it fully look like for orthodoxy? Because I, I think I agree with you that uh, I think the, the ideal vision is for orthodoxy to fully embrace its LGBTQ members. But I'm wondering what that looks like from an institutional level. So, for example, should, like, Daniel and his fiance want to get married? Presumably, if they could, they would want to have an orthodox wedding. Do you think that orthodox rabbis should and will one day perform LGBTQ weddings? I think that the the question of marriage is a very specific question. I think what's interesting here is that we can we can talk all we want about halachic gay marriage and also at the same time there is no such thing as halachic gay marriage. So what are we talking about when we say halachic gay marriage? Like marriage in halacha looks like kiddushin all the other things that come along with it, that doesn't exist in outside of the framework of a cisgendered woman and a cisgendered man getting married to each other. And so I think what we're talking about is not this, we're not talking about the same thing. And we're not talking about just picking up what we have and moving it over somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So because that there is no Precedent. framework, there's no press, there's no framework for that in halacha. Just like there is no, there are not halachot, regarding whether you can give smicha to a gay person or not. So this right. is well, a halachic I mean, issue. I appreciate you saying that because that's a very honest and real answer to what we were talking about before of like what would be the conditions of somebody. And you just said like, oh, I'll just keep halacha. It's not so simple because halacha doesn't really address these issues in this way. Well, then it is Which, so simple because it means it shouldn't be an issue. So, well, here's what I would say. I think I think a lot of this is... Uh, homophobia, prejudice, discrimination masked under the guise of halacha. I know this because uh, as a woman, I'm treated the same way as gay men are treated and I'm not included in the Pusuk. Like the, no, nobody talks about the... the like gay women versus gay men. Yeah, nobody mm-hmm. talks about that. Nobody right. talks about um, that, that one sentence or those two sentences right, are used against LGBTQ people when they only include one letter of the entire LGBTQ community. Right. And so I I would push back a lot on the halachic part of this conversation because I think that it's almost only a social construct. I, I think that um, something that is important to talk about is the institutions and where they're at now. I think that almost everybody that at JQI, we've spoken with a ton of Orthodox institutions behind closed doors. We call them closeted allies. There are people who <laughs> behind closed doors will say, like, we're with you they're and we really of getting feel in you. Trouble. Yeah, and by the way, if we if if I were to tell you all the institutions that we've spoken with, everyone would be like, "Oh, well, everyone else does it, so why do we have to be so afraid?" But everyone is afraid, and we've mm-hmm. been told in our meetings, if you tell any this is a direct quote, if you tell anyone that we had this meeting, this will be the last time we've ever that we ever speak. Oh. And so, it besides for the fact that that's insulting and that yeah. that is like I think, I think we're, I would cry in the meeting. Yeah, it was it wasn't a great meeting. <laughs> but um, I think it's it's disempowering. It's and it's it's, I think we're beyond that. Like we, that is, that's not, that's no longer something that's going to be acceptable. Um, there are a lot of people who in, in institute leaders of institutions who say, you know, I'm accepting, but unfortunately my hands are tied. 
And there's some kind of somewhere in the American Orthodox Jewish community, there's someone who's tying everybody's hands <laughs> and nobody will say who this hand tire is. And um, well, I think it's definitely a generational thing. A lot of yeah. the people who give money are older and older people tend to be less do you think it's about donations? Yeah, things. but that's not leadership. I think bold leadership and bold orthodoxy For sure, is but, about pushing back on yeah. that. Y- and yes, I get that that's complicated. Yeah. We, we spoke about that a few weeks ago about like Jewish institutions being beholden to philanthropists who themselves might either be questionable on a moral level or got their money from questionable right. sources. And it's not so easy um, practically to just cut all ties to those people because yeah. they rely on those people. Right. But I think what what is important from these institutions is that that they have a full position. So right now there's there's not like there are policies of here's what you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to wish Mazel Tov from a shul. You're not allowed to get smicha because of X, Y, and Z. You're not, and there's there are a ton of policies of things that people are not allowed to do. But there are there isn't a therefore do this. Right. Like when we're talking about um, intermarriage, for example, we have we have as a I guess the social the norms in orthodoxy would say we don't want you to marry someone who's not Jewish either you can, that person can convert or you can find someone who is Jewish and therefore you won't be intermarried. But here it's right. like you. You can't what, get what are they married. To you do? just can't. can't. Right. Like and, full stop. Right. You can't. And then what? There's no vision, and so there is no position. The only vision is you can leave. Right. A full position includes a vision, and because we don't have any visions, we orthodoxy has no position. And so it, what it does is it leaves people with, what are we supposed to do? And so that is something that I don't have all the answers, and I, and I right. don't. I don't claim to have the answers i'm also i'm not a posek and so all these halachic things i'm talking about are uh theoretical interesting and theoretical but again not <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not my my area of expertise um but i i think that it's important that we have that 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 there needs to be a vision and that the conversations that we that there are not conversations about us without us that we can be mm-hmm. in the room and that we can be mm-hmm. part of those conversations and that that vision can be co-created and it doesn't have to be coming from, it shouldn't be just from the top down right. or just from the bottom up. I think we can meet in the middle and have that conversation. Right. I think everything you're saying makes makes a lot of sense. And I think that without getting again into the details of the YCT case, that really was the source of the problem was that they didn't have a very clear, yeah. um, open policy of like, okay, you're gay. Here is what it means to be a gay musmach in our yeshiva. And so regardless of what agreement they may or may not have had, I think, and that, that was the problem. And now, now they're, the statements that they're making and the things that they're saying, I think are addressing that. And they're saying, okay, yes, that is the most difficult thing here in terms of figuring out exactly what is the plan and what is the trajectory um, for somebody who comes in as a student and they're gay. But they're saying that now they want to have those conversations. They want to have those panels and those discussions um, with the yeshiva, with the leaders from the Jewish uh, LGBTQ community. And I, I, nobody knows if they're really going to come to any sort of uh, conclusions that are going to make sense to everybody, but I think that's their goal. And, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll be able to make progress on that. I'll also add that, that while I talked about uh, closeted allies before, YCT is, 
I think, the only Orthodox institution that has worked with us as a non-closeted openly. ally openly, right? And so there is... Which is what's um, sad and ironic about the current backlash. Right. So what, well, we, what we talk about at JQI is also it, it hurts more to be disappointed by a friend than it, mm-hmm. than it right. does to be disappointed by somebody else, right? If this weren't right. YCT, it you would, would if you had no expectations. Rejection. Right. And so I think that that's complicated, but I, I just, I want to just call out that YCT, they're not closeted allies. I, I think that this hasn't been handled in the best way that it could have been mm-hmm. handled. I think there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain caused and that that's extremely real and that the ramifications of, again, of picking up a ball and then dropping it are huge and are real. Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, recognizing them for what they have done. Yes. Well, there are so much more that I know we all wanted to talk about, but unfortunately, we we have to end it here. Rachel, thank you so, so much for joining us for obviously a kind of intense conversation. This was fascinating. Um, Listeners, we want to hear from all of you even more than last episode. Uh, Please email us at TalkingTalkusPodcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in being in touch with Rachel and JQI, Rachel, how can the people be in touch with you? Yeah, so check us out online at jqyouth.org. We also have a drop-in center for anyone who identifies as LGBTQ and Jewish and falls within the age range of 13 to 23. Um, we also have a warm line for anyone who wants to, who wants to call and speak with a social worker. And you can also email info at jqyouth.org. All right. And of course, contact us on Facebook, Talking Talkless Podcast, and rate us and review us five stars on iTunes. Thanks so much, as always, to Drive-In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Talkless. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.